What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, I have yet another special treat for you guys, as I am giving a classic pay-per-view review of WWE Backlash 2018. Now, obviously, this is not a typical classic pay-per-view review, like one that I would do with Gator Ricky Ross, where we do in-depth analysis. This is more of a classic pay-per-view review that I am taking from our SoundCloud page and bringing here to Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, depending on which hosting site you're listening to the show from. And I brought it here this week to commemorate the fact that this coming Saturday will be WWE Backlash taking place in San Juan, Puerto Rico and being hosted by one of the worst singers of all time, Bad Bunny. Now, normally with reviews like this, I tend to leave the intro alone and just let the whole episode fly the way it was previously recorded. But 
But I decided to add in this special intro here because the announcements and stuff that I talked about on that episode at the time that it aired contains information that is in no way, shape, or form relevant to the present day. So there's no sense in hearing me ramble on and on and on about all that random shit. So I decided to just give this little intro here to kind of let you guys know what's going on and then just jump right into all the action. All right. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we will now commence with the recap of WWE Backlash. And Backlash, of course, took place at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. And you can rest assured, if I was still living in Brooklyn, I would have found a way to go to Jersey for this event. And we're going to kick things off with the first official match of the evening for the Intercontinental title. Seth Rollins puts the title on the line against The Miz. And let me just say, this match was fantastic. And I was not expecting that. A lot of people felt that this was the match of the night. I don't know if I would go that far, but I will say this. The one thing this match did that I will commend both superstars. Yes, I'll even give The Miz, who I despise, credit. I loved the false finishes which is rare. Normally, I'm not a big fan of multiple false finishes. You know, one or two or maybe even three is fine, but when you overdo it, it kind of sucks. But in this case, it was perfect. This is one of the 9 out of 10 rule, the 9-10 rule that you want to bring to wrestling. Like, 9 out of 10 times, you shouldn't do something. But every now and then, it works. But just because it works that one time doesn't mean it's going to work for every single match that every person does. This is the rarity where false finishes work perfectly because The Miz is on SmackDown Live and Seth Rollins is still on Monday Night Raw. So I already knew, I already knew going into this match that Seth Rollins was going to win. Just the simple fact that Jeff Hardy beat Jinder Mahal at Saudi Arabia. When he won and retained the United States title and the U.S. title is going to stay on SmackDown Live, I knew that Seth Rollins was going to win at Backlash. I knew it. And when Seth retained the title in the ladder match, because I didn't know what was going to happen in the ladder match. I didn't know if Seth was going to retain. I didn't know if Balor was going to retain. I didn't know if The Miz was going to win and then Rollins would take it back here. I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew Samoa Joe wasn't winning anything. I knew that. I could automatically cross his name off the list of possible people to win that ladder match. But I knew that I knew in this match that Seth was going to win. They're not going to put two mid-card titles on one show. They're just not going to do it. And I don't see them bringing Miz back to Raw because he's got because eventually they're going to work to a feud between him and Daniel Bryan. It is inevitable. Whether it happens at SummerSlam, whether it happens at WrestleMania 35, I don't know. But I do know that there is a plan in the works to at some point have The Miz and Daniel Bryan face off. And Daniel Bryan is going to punch Miz in the face. And I cannot wait. I can't wait to see that. So anyway, match was great. And I love the fact that any given moment, any either one of these guys could have won. This match had me on the edge of my seat. Especially when Miz reversed the Falcon Zero into a skull-crushing finale and, co- and almost got the win. It was insane. Seth Rollins displaying his amazing athletic skill in this match. The, the fact that he can hit frog splashes from like way from like three quarters of the, at the end of the ring is fucking phenomenal. Like my res- ever since Seth Rollins won 
won the Intercontinental title, my respect for him has so greatly increased. Because most people will tell you, I was not a fan of Seth Rollins when he first went solo. I hate his WWE title reign. It bored me to tears. I felt that he was being force-fed because he's Triple H's boy, not just in storyline, but also outside the ring. I felt that Seth was getting certain accolades that he didn't deserve, and... I still believe he didn't deserve them at that time. I will say that. But I'm saying I'm growing on Seth Rollins. He's earning my respect. Which I'm sure means nothing to him. He's not even thinking about me. But because this is my show, I will say that. Seth Rollins has earned my respect more and more. And he and I've always said from the very beginning that Seth Rollins was worthy of being Intercontinental Champion. Because he's an amazing in-ring performer. It was his shitty promos and other issues that I had with Seth. He, like The fact that he was hurting people constantly is what I felt didn't make him worthy of being WWE Champion. But I've always believed he could be Intercontinental Champion and do very well with it. And that's exactly what he's doing. And the fact that The Miz lost always puts a smile on my face. And once again, I commend WWE for putting Miz in the opening match. I'm glad that we once again were able to get him out of the way so we could enjoy some wrestling and not have to worry with the cancer of the WWE anymore so it was a quick match it was a, it was it was well it wasn't a quick match but i'm saying that you know as far as dealing with the miz it was quick and painless and on that note we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening uh for the raw women's title nia Jax puts the title on the line against alexa bliss and I love the fact there was no, even though Mickey James was on the little promo poster thing, she was nowhere to be found in Alexa Bliss's corner. I didn't see Mickey show up at all, which I thought was perfect. I don't know if maybe Mickey was attacked during the pre-show or not, or maybe something happened. I don't know because I don't watch the kickoff show. But for whatever reason, Mickey James was not present at ringside, which I love. And also, I love the fact that Nia basically beat the shit out of Alexa Bliss, tossing her around like a rag doll. Bliss, of course, you know, chopping the leg, chopping the knee early, doing the kick to the knee early, you know, chopping, chopping the big girl down. And I'm not saying that uh, to be rude or derogatory towards Nia Jax, because everybody knows I love Nia Jax. I'm a huge fan. But I'm just saying she is a big girl. It'd be no different if someone hit the big show and he goes, chopping the big man down. You know, he's going to chop the big girl, the big woman down and bring her down to her level so she can, you know, lock in multiple sleeper holds, which was great. Nia Jax eventually just throwing her over her head. But, you know, a lot of those sleeper holds were good. They were able to, uh, you know, help Bliss get an advantage, help her take Nia Jax down. Great ways of taking on somebody who's taller than you. So it was very, very believable. It was a believable match. Now, was it a great in-ring woman's match? Hell no, it was not great. But it did what needed to be done. It's the key thing in wrestling. It's not about having a good match. It's about working the gimmick of the match to tell your story, to do your business. That is how wrestling always works. Some matches are meant to go out there and be great technical matches. Some are meant to have more psychology. Some are meant to have certain moments, depending on the situation. Like Miz and Seth had a great technical match. Granted, Seth carried Miz through most of it, but still, that was meant to have great in-ring wrestling because it was the Intercontinental title. This is a big girl, small girl match. It's meant to have this kind of stuff in it. So, based on what they did, they did right as far as the match goes. And in the end, Bliss goes up top, comes flying off. Nia catches her, hits a Samoan drop. Covers her one, two, three, 
wins the match. So Nia Jax retains the title, and then the ref hands Nia her belt. Nia doesn't even have Young talking about how the win means everything to her, and that Alexa's moment of bliss is over. She cuts an anti-bullying promo, tells people to be themselves, and that bullies always get their asses kicked. And Alexa Bliss is still selling the beating and gets helped to the back by the ref, which is perfect. She doesn't bury anything. She's selling it all the way up the ramp, giving Nia Jax the props. Nia Jax being acknowledged as the champion. Now, at this point, the rivalry now needs to end. Nia Jax at WrestleMania overcame the bullying, the insurmountable odds, and got her revenge. Alexa Bliss, as the former champion, invoking her right to a rematch. Goes for the rematch, loses. So Alexa Bliss now needs to go to the back of the line. And there needs to be a new challenger to step up and face Nia Jax. Whoever it may be. Uh... I'm not quite sure who I think it should be yet, but one thing I will say, it should not be Ronda Rousey. There are rumors going around that Ronda could get a shot at Nia Jax. I don't want to see that. And again, I love Ronda Rousey, but I don't want her to get too much too soon. Like I said, wait till next WrestleMania to put the women's title on her. Make it a WrestleMania moment. That's what needs to happen. So Ronda Rousey needs to be away from the women's title. Right now, over the next year, she needs to be in matches with seasoned veterans. That's what she needs to do. She needs to be working a match with Mickie James. She needs to be working a match. Maybe she has a friendly match with Natalia down the road. Or, you know, I would have said put her in the ring with Absolution, but they sent those bitches over to fucking SmackDown, which I thought was stupid. So, you know, it's a lot of factors that go into that. But Ronda does not need to be facing Nia Jax next. I don't know who the next challenge is going to be. I have to take a closer look at the women's roster. I can't remember exactly who's on it. Maybe the Riot Squad. Maybe Ruby Riot could be somebody to uh, take her on. I know she fought in the kickoff show. We could always put Bailey in with Nia. We could put Sasha in with Nia. You know, work some of those women up. But Alexa Bliss needs to be done with Nia Jax. Alexa Bliss needs to be done with all the bullying bullshit. So no more being, no more bullying on the women's roster. That's done. The rivalry was good. Everything was done. Nia saying, don't be ordinary, be extraordinary. And let me tell you something. As someone who is eating a car and not just recently getting, you know, some mainstream coverage, I needed to hear that from Nia now more than ever. So let me just say that. And uh, on that note... We will move on to the next match here. We got for the United States Championship, Jeff Hardy puts the title on the line against Randy Orton. And um, this was, it was decent. Obviously, the crowd is chanting Brother Nero throughout the match. So, you know, obviously everybody's loving Brother Nero. Even though Jeff is not Brother Nero right now, he's off doing his own thing. And of course, uh, I got into a huge debate with a lot of people on uh, social media during this match because a lot of people have heard me say this and a lot of my friends like to, you know, piss me off, get under my skin and have these debates with me because I have said a lot that I'm not happy with Jeff Hardy getting a singles run because this is what the WWE has done with the Hardys for years that always pisses me off. Anytime Matt and Jeff split up, Matt goes into another tag team and Jeff always gets the singles run. Like Jeff has gotten opportunities at the WWE and World Heavyweight WWE World Heavyweight titles. He's been a WWE champion. He's been a World Heavyweight champion. Yet Matt Hardy, who I believe is better than Jeff, 
a better in-ring wrestler, technically, and a better talker. And Jeff is really only amazing when he's jumping off of shit. He has no technical in-ring game whatsoever, Jeff Hardy. If he's not jumping off of something, if he's not doing a swanton bomb or a whisper in the wind or anything like that, he ain't really shit. And that's Jeff Hardy. Now, I know some people might say, well, what about Shane McMahon? He jumps off a lot of shit. Yeah, he does. But he also has good in-ring game as well, which we saw in the match with AJ Styles at WrestleMania last year, which we've seen in the match with Kevin Owens. Shane can work in the ring as well. That way, when he builds to his coast-to-coast or a leap of faith to the announce table, or jumping off a cell if he's in a Hell in a Cell match, he shows he can do that. But Jeff doesn't have much in-ring game. So when he's facing Randy Orton, a guy who never goes the top rope, who all of his game is ground game. Randy Orton is strictly ground game. And he's great at it. Like, Randy Orton is so fluid in the ring. Never has to go to the top rope. Never has to dive anywhere. He can just fucking do his thing. And the other guy can jump around the ring and do whatever. So the match was decent, but it didn't really excite me. In fact, I missed most of the match because I was driving, you know, so I had to kind of, you know, watch the road while doing everything else and couldn't really pay much attention to the match. In fact, then I had to come home and I had to set up my computer and set everything up on the TV so I could even watch the match. So most of the match I missed, but I did manage to see the ending where, uh, you know, uh, Jeff looks for a dropkick in the corner, Orton escapes. They go back and forth on the mat. Hardy stuns him with a twist of fate, then goes up. Up, hits the swanton bomb, covers him one, two, three, and retains the United States title. So Jeff Hardy is still the U.S. champion, which is great. I just really hope he doesn't become WWE champion again. And I really hope that Matt Hardy, who's now in a tag team with Bray Wyatt, and they've won the uh, tag team titles of the Greatest Royal Rumble, which is great. I love the fact that they're tag team champions. I want them to be champs for a good, decent run. But I don't want Matt to be stuck in a tag team for the duration of his career. I want him to eventually either become universal champion down the road or jump over to SmackDown Live and become a WWE champion there. And then maybe once Matt Hardy comes to SmackDown Live, we could eventually see, you know, the, the we could eventually see the, the resurgence of Brother Nero and then the broken, or I should say, the Woken Hardys become the SmackDown tag team champions. And then once they drop those belts, then if the Hardys ever want to leave, they can. But I feel like Matt needs to be WWE champion at some point before he leaves that company. And him and Jeff need to be the SmackDown tag team champions before they leave the company. That's Those are the two things that need to happen with the Hardys. So I don't mind Jeff being a United States champion. I'm fine with that. He's never held that belt before and he can have great mid-card matches. But I do not want to see Jeff become a WWE champion. Especially if Matt never touches that belt. Because if Matt Hardy doesn't become a world champion in WWE, especially with this Woken gimmick that has totally re-resurrected his whole career, it will be a slap in the face to Matt. And I don't want the WWE to do that. I may even stop watching WWE altogether if they do that. Because that is that would be a disgusting thing to do to Matt, and I hate the fact that WWE does this to him so often. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next moment here. This is a special segment. Elias is in the ring with the spotlight on him as he starts trashing New Jersey. He asks the fans to hold their applause and prepare to listen to him sing. Talks about being buddies of Bruce Springsteen while still hating on New Jersey. 
which is kind of cool. Um, then the crowd keeps making noise. Elias threatens to leave a couple times, but then sits down. And the New Day comes out to interrupt. And Xavier starts by giving Elias some props for his songs. Elias says he wants to get through his song and offers them some autographs. Cody declines, Co- not Cody, sorry, Kofi declines the autographs and asks Elias if he wants to jam with the New Day. The New Day starts playing their marching band instruments until Elias yells at them to stop. Elias tells them to take their toys and go play somewhere else. Maybe someday they can open for Elias, but for now, he wants the lights out again for his song and to be a solo act. Then Aiden English interrupts. Aiden English comes out to the stage and sings a song, trashing the New Day and Elias. And then Rusev comes out to join him. Elias asks what the hell they're doing here, and Rusev says they're doing whatever they want. Elias tries to start his song again, but this time Noah Jose and his conga line comes out dancing. Titus Worldwide and the Fashion Police are dancing with them. Elias repeatedly yells to stop, and they finally turn off the music. Elias says this is his night, and nobody better interrupt him again. Elias tries to start his song again, but then this time Bobby Bobby Roode's music hits. Roode sneaks in the ring behind Elias while the lights are still out. He's not on the stage. He just sneaks in, runs in, and then hits Elias with a glorious DDT. Roode then leads the crowd in a glorious chant, and then he points at No Way Jose. His music hits, and the dancing continues back up the ramp. And I gotta say that this was a somewhat fun segment. I guess it provided some comic relief for the show, but I don't really feel like it needed it. You know, I feel like Elias didn't need all this extra hoopla. Like the New Day coming out was great. Aiden English was great. You know, his promos have gotten so phenomenal. Sometimes when I see him talking, he's got a bit of a rock style to him, even though he's singing. He's got a great singing voice. He can hold that Rusev Day. And he can hold that day for so long is phenomenal. Aiden English is getting so much better in the ring as a promo guy. Like I said, it kind of, he, I'm not saying he's like The Rock, but I'm saying his cadence kind of has a bit of a rock feel to it. The only difference is he's singing as he does it, so he makes it his own. So I'm not saying he has promo skills like The Rock. I'm just saying he can match The Rock's cadence a little bit, and that's what I like. And then Rusev comes out. I like I like Aiden English more than I like Rusev. But um, and then of course Bobby Roode being out there was a little was fun. Uh, but I didn't really I didn't really feel like I needed it. Uh, No Way Jose is great. I just don't like the conga lines. I feel like it's there. People are starting to compare him to Adam Rose, and that bothers me. So I'm not a big fan of the conga line. I just rather have No Way Jose be himself. Uh, the fact that Titus Worldwide and the Fashion Police came out with the conga line is was stupid because now it's an indication that you know Titus Worldwide is basically going to be a jobber faction. Um. And of course, the fashion police are not going to get taken seriously either. So when you're in that in that conga line, it just makes you feel like you're going to be a jobber. Now, of course, Bobby Roode's not going to be a jobber, but you know, it didn't hurt to see Bobby Roode kind of dance with the New Day. And then also, Bobby Roode did the whole glorious thing, and everybody on stage did the glorious thing. So it showed Bobby Roode was kind of leading a little bit, and it was fun to see Bobby Roode do something fun and entertaining because Bobby Roode's been he's been Mr. Tough Guy so much throughout his career to see Bobby Roode kind of cut loose and be entertaining was fun to watch and that's when it's the most fun when you see a guy be serious for so fucking long and then finally see them cut loose and be a little fun it makes you human that's why I love Braun Strowman and some of the funny stuff he says and he does 
sometimes. I don't think they're making him a clown. They're making him a baby face. They're making him human a little bit. And that's what you got to do when you turn a monster baby face. You got to show that he can be nice, that he can be fun, that he can be of the people a little bit. Because that's how the people accept him when the monster grows a heart. Just like in the movies. It's like Beauty and the Beast. The Beast used to be such a fucking asshole, but then eventually Belle gets him to, you know, kind of eat a certain way like a human. Kind of, you know, they see the dance moves. He can kind of be a little human and then eventually he becomes human again at the end. Sorry if I'm spoiling anything for the Disney fans out there, but you know, and showing. It shows a little human side. So I like Bobby Roode showing he can kind of be, you know, entertaining too. In that way. I mean, he's always been able to be entertaining just the fact that he can kind of cut loose and be fun and he's not afraid to be a little bit funny out there is great as long as they don't overdo it it's great so like i said we didn't really need this on the pay-per-view but it brought a little bit of entertainment and on that note we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening the matchup i hated the most big cast versus daniel bryan in the immortal words of one of my co-hosts who is currently on a long sabbatical due to injury shitty this is shitty moving on why wwe why in the hell did you subject us to the shitty this was shitty worst fucking match of the night this is the worst match right here this was absolute shit first of all big cast and Daniel Bryan have no chemistry whatsoever. The whole big guy, little guy thing, they did not play this well. And to top it all off, Bryan, Daniel Bryan hit, repeatedly hits Cass in the head somehow and then locks in a yes lock and Big Cass taps out. Now, of course, Big Cass did attack Daniel Bryan after the match. You know, throws him back in the ring, hits a running big boot and all that. And he lay, let Daniel Bryan lay. But I'm sorry. This is fucking shit. You got Big Cass who's seven feet tall, Daniel Bryan, who's like four foot fucking something, and he makes Big Cass tap out with a yes lock? I'm sorry, that is the, and I'm about to say a really bad word here, but I have to say it. This is the fakest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. This is one of those things where I try to tell a person, wrestling is not fake, and then some shit like this pops up, and I go, uh, I got, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to explain that. The booking decision behind this was fucking stupid. If you're gonna have Daniel Bryan win, have him win by a pinfall. Like, he knocks him into a steel ring post or something, or like, or they expose a term buckle. You know, Big Cass hits his head on the exposed turnbuckle. He kind of falls to the ground. Daniel Bryan goes for a quick cover. Gets the one, two, three. Something like that. Maybe there's some kind of weird roll-up. Maybe there's a, maybe Big Cass is so out of control and beats the shit out of Daniel so much, there's a disqualification. Maybe, maybe Daniel Bryan does something where he outsmarts Big Cass and, you know, he falls on a steel ring post and Daniel Bryan gets back in the ring, beats a ten count, and there's a count out. Something like that. But you don't have Big Cass tap out. The tap out was the dumbest decision because now if Big Cass wasn't a joke before, he sure as shit is now. You can't take Big Cass seriously anymore. Any booking ideas you had of Big Cass being a badass, jacked up, seven foot monster, WWE just flushed it right down the fucking toilet. That's how mad I'm getting right now, ladies and gentlemen. It sounds like my voice, I'm starting to lose it. It's because of the sore throat, starting to get tickly, starting to hurt me like hell. That's how mad I am right now. This is fucking disgraceful. This is the dumbest fucking 
thing I've ever seen. And again, I'm not mad. I don't hate Daniel Bryan. But this is not a match for Daniel Bryan to win clean. To win legitimately. Because you just buried your seven foot guy. That was a dumb booking decision. And now, Daniel Bryan, yeah, he looks great. He looks like a fucking winner. There's a million different ways WWE could have made Daniel Bryan look like a winner without burying their seven-foot giant. There's a million different ways they could have done it, and they didn't choose any of them. So, good luck taking Big Cass seriously down the road. It's only a matter of time before he becomes a funny little comedy act and then eventually gets released by WWE. Because I can't take Big Cass seriously anymore. I can't watch any more matches. I can't listen to any more promos. I am no... I can't believe anything that comes from Big Cass. Because a four-foot vanilla midget just tapped you out. I can't take Big Cass seriously anymore. I have no emotional investment in anything involving Big Cass anymore. Uh, I can't. Any match that involves Big Cass, you're not going to hear me talk about because I can't take him seriously anymore. I am done. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. A match that was very good and shocked me. Carmella defends the women's title against Charlotte. And this was a great women's match. I loved it. I loved the trash talking from Carmella, which was great. I love Charlotte being on the defense throughout most of the match and then overcoming the odds to, you know, potentially beat her. Because I thought Charlotte was going to win this match. Because I thought they were going to make Carmella a traditional champion and push the false flare. But, to my shock, Charlotte missed a moonsault, selling a knee injury. Carmella kicks out Charlotte's bad knee and then rolled her up one, two, three, and retained the title. So now that Charlotte has lost her rematch... Does this mean that Charlotte goes to the back of the line? Because technically, that's where she should go. She lost her title. She lost her title. She went for her rematch. She lost the rematch. She's done. Carmella now needs to move on to the next challenger because... There was no cheap win. Carmella didn't cheat. There was no controversial finish. Charlotte hurt her knee. Carmella took advantage of the bad knee and won the match. No rule was broken. So Charlotte no longer has a legitimate claim to the SmackDown women's title. And it is now time for Carmella to take on a new challenger. And I, like I said, I did not see that coming. I totally thought Charlotte was going to win. Carmella would get a rematch somewhere on SmackDown and lose that. And then Charlotte would move on to another challenger. But now it looks like Carmella is the one that's going to do that. I just hope this is the end of the rivalry and Charlotte is done fighting for the women's title. Give her a break from the women's title division because I am sick and tired of her being forced into every title match and every first ever match and everything else because she's the daughter of Ric Flair. Because nothing has happened in WWE to prove to me that that's not the case. That they're not coddling the daughter of the Nature Boy. But this proves that they definitely see a lot in Carmella as a champion and I'm hoping that WWE will prove me wrong by keeping Charlotte out of the women's title picture until Carmella loses the women's title. As long as Carmella is the women's champion, I don't want to see Charlotte wrestle her again. 
Not again. I am done with that, okay? Uh, that, that needs to be done because Carmella won. She now needs to move on to another challenger. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the WWE Championship. AJ Styles puts the title on the line against Shinsuke Nakamura. And I will say this about this match. Out of all the matches that I have seen Styles and Nakamura compete in, this one is actually my favorite. And it's because of something I mentioned during the Nia Jax Alexa Bliss match. Styles and Nakamura worked the gimmick of this match to tell their story to do their business. This match was not meant to be a wrestling match. It was meant to be a fight. It's no disqualification and it's Styles not fucking around anymore. Now, their match at WrestleMania was supposed to be a technical amazing match and it wasn't. So I think fans would have enjoyed this match a lot more if they got the technical match, the five-star match of the night we were meant to see at WrestleMania, but did not get. And of course, at the Greatest Royal Rumble, we got a double count out, which was kind of stupid, but did lead up to this, you know? So, so far, Styles and Nakamura, they've been stinking up the joint. They have been leaving the audience disappointed. And of course, the audience was very disappointed in this match as well, even though I loved it because it was violent. It was physical. I love it when uh, Nakamura went for the Kin Sasha, but Styles threw that chair up and hit Nakamura in the knee, but the chair bounced back and hit Styles on the side of the face, so his cheek started bleeding. Now, obviously, in WWE, they have a no-blood policy, so if there's bleeding, it's on accident. No one out there plans to get color, as they say in the business. Get color is what it means to, uh, you know, bleed in the match, but... Surely enough, Styles bled. So the blood, even though it was accidental, helped make the match even greater. Like now you know this is a fight. Styles is bleeding. Someone is bleeding. This is a fight. And we and it gave it more of a fight feel. Like this is the one, if there was one match on the entire card that needed blood, it was this one. And we got it. And then of course, Nakamura hitting the low blow like he always does. But then when Styles hit his low blow, the crowd came up. Because Nakamura had been hitting so many low blows on AJ Styles from the one at WrestleMania to all the ones on SmackDown to the Greatest Royal Rumble till now. Just everything. So when Styles finally hits that low blow, the crowd goes nuts. And it looks like they're not going to answer the 10 count. And they get back up. And they're trading blows. They're trading blows. They're trading blows. The amazing back and forth until finally they run right up to each other. And at the exact same time, they kick each other in the balls. And both men go down. And they fail to answer the 10 count. So both men are counted out and AJ wins the title. So once again, we got no winner. We have a double, you know, we have a no contest. Double count out. No contest. Styles retains. And what's the best part about it is, it was a believable double count out. Because any guy will tell you, you take a kick to the nuts, you ain't getting up. And of course, Styles had to be helped to the back. And Nakamura is still writhing in pain. Because that's what happens to men when we get kicked in the nuts. That's why they always say, like, even in a fight to the death, a bro doesn't punch another bro in the groin. Or that's why a lot of times in women's self-defense classes, they tell you, 
go for the nuts, you know. Now, guys, usually we don't do that unless it's a matter of life and death. But you know, but you know, if you're if, unless you're fighting someone who's not your bro, you don't hit your own bro in the nuts. But if it's a guy who's not your bro, fucking go for it because that's the shot you want to take because it's guaranteed to get you out of there. And no matter how big and bad and tough and muscular you are, any man who gets hit in the nuts goes down. Every man. There is not a man on this planet that gets kicked in the balls and doesn't go down. Unless in two circumstances. One, they're wearing a cup. Or two, their balls have been removed and there's nothing there to kick. And even then, it still might hurt like hell. But the balls are very sensitive. So it was great to see them both go down like that. So the only problem is, because of this, we're probably going to end up getting another Styles-Nakamura match, probably at Money in the Bank, which I'm going to hate. But as much as I I really don't want to see Styles and Nakamura wrestle each other again, it's fine with me if it takes Nakamura out of the Money in the Bank ladder match. Because obviously there's going to be a Money in the Bank ladder match. As long as Nakamura is fighting for the WWE title and isn't in that Money in the Bank ladder match, then I'm totally fine with it. Let them fight one more time. But if you're going to fight one more time, we need a clear-cut winner. And it would need to be Styles for the rivalry to end. Because if Nakamura wins the title, then Styles can invoke his rematch clause and this whole fucking thing starts again. Unless they have a match where Styles forfeits his rematch clause, which means if Nakamura becomes the champion, Styles can't challenge him again. Because I feel like these two are far from over, but I feel like their first two matches sucked so much that I don't think anybody wants to see it again. That's how I feel. Like I said, this is the only match of the three that I liked. And even that gave us no definitive winner. So, obviously, these two are going to have to fight again, which I don't think anybody wants to see. At least I know I don't. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got a tag team match. Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. This match was... I don't want to say it was a squash, but it was pretty quick. Uh, of course, Owens and Sammy did manage to uh, double-team Bobby Lashley and take control of the pace, which I liked because Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, these are not jobbers. They are no slouches in the ring, and they're effective as a tag team. That's why I love this match because both teams actually wrestled like a tag team. I felt like one team was trying to beat the other team. It didn't feel like two singles matches happening at one time. Like, Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley worked so well together as a tag team, I'm still pissed off they're not the raw tag team champions right now that Braun Strowman didn't pick Bobby Lashley as his partner and have them beat the bar win the tag belts and then maybe face them at the greatest Royal Rumble and whoop their asses there the fact that these two are not the raw tag team champions right now is fucking horrible because they work so well together as a team they gel so well together as a team it makes the whole Nicholas thing at WrestleMania look even more goddamn ridiculous. Because you could have brought Lashley out at Mania, which the crowd could have used some excitement because Nakamura and Styles bored the audience to fucking death. 
in that stadium. And I know because I was in that fucking stadium. So it was horrible. And of course, Kevin and Sammy, they're working well together as a team too. Aside from the fact that they were arguing inside the ring. And then, Sam, of course, you know, they start arguing. And then Sammy appears to turn on Kevin, throw him in the ring. They start arguing. Lashley and Strowman clean house. Lashley picks up Owens for the stalling vertical suplex. Slams him down. Covers him one, two, three. Lashley and Strowman win the match. After the match, Orton gets slammed down. They then take Sammy back in the ring. Strowman gives him a running power slam too. And they leave both men laying. So now the question is, are Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn still a tag team? Because it looks like they're going to turn on each other. It looks like they're about to split. And here's the thing. I don't want these two to split up. I feel like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn work so well together as a team, they should not be separated. And if they go into the singles division, they will get lost in the sauce right now. I feel they belong in the tag team division and they should be going for the Raw tag team titles. Now, at some point, you can split these guys up again. But the Universal title is still around the waist of Brock Lesnar. So Kevin and Sammy, they ain't going to be able to fight for that. The Intercontinental title, Kevin Owens already held that belt. So Sammy should be the one going for the IC title anyway. So to put these guys in singles competition and to top it all off, nobody, nobody on this planet wants to see these two in another fucking rivalry. If Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have to fight each other one-on-one again, I will fucking flip my shit. I will go insane because I do not want to see these two fight forever. Fuck that, okay? I didn't like their rivalry when it started. I didn't like the rivalry then. I didn't like the rivalry now. I didn't like it in NXT. I didn't like it on the main roster. I didn't like it when it was shoved down my throat every chance they fucking had during the Superstar Shakeup when Sammy went to SmackDown and fucking Kevin Owens followed him. It was stupid. It was stupid. I do not want to see these two fucking fight each other again. There's no reason for it. They've done it already. It's been done to death. Keep them as a team and let them work together because that's where they belong. All right. And on that, and same thing with Bobby Lashley and Braun Strowman. Only at some point, make them the Raw Tag Team Champions like they should be because they work way too well together as a team to not have belts around their waist. It's disgusting. And on that note, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening. Samoa Joe one-on-one against Roman Reigns. A lot of people are hating on this match. A lot of people left the arena during this match. A lot of people seem disinterested in this match. I, for one, enjoyed it. Now, for most people think I enjoyed this because Roman Reigns won. No, that is not why. In fact, I don't think Roman Reigns should have won this match. To be very honest, I think Samoa Joe should have won this match. Why? Because Roman Reigns has got his ass whooped at WrestleMania by Brock Lesnar when he shouldn't have. The cage match at the Greatest Royal Rumble was fucking shit. The fact that Roman Reigns isn't the Universal Champion right now pisses me off. Not because I'm a huge fan of Roman Reigns, but because, as I've said before many times, this is the only guy that has been built up to be credible enough to beat Brock Lesnar. That was the whole point. That's why Roman got all those victories and accolades that he got. 
That's why he beat John Cena at No Mercy. That's why he beat The Undertaker at last year's WrestleMania. That's why he beat Triple H to capture his third WWE Championship. That is why every time Roman Reigns has been shoved down our throats and driven insane, well, shoved down mostly your guys' throats, that's why. It was to build him up to take the title off of Brock. And most fans have accepted that. So when Brock, so when Roman did not take the belt from Brock Lesnar, it was a slap in the face to John Cena, to The Undertaker, to Triple H. It is stupid and fucking pointless for Brock Lesnar to remain Universal Champion because there is nobody else on that roster except for maybe Bobby Lashley or Kurt Angle if he stopped being a GM and became a wrestler. Nobody else can beat him. Braun Strowman's had multiple chances. He's failed. Samoa Joe got put down with one F5. He's taking John Cena to Suplex City. Hell, he's the um, he's the first guy to ever go through Suplex City before he was even called Suplex City. He's broken Triple H's arm, and he ended the streak of The Undertaker and beat him in a Hell in a Cell match. So who the fuck else is credible? And Kane took the pin in the Triple Threat match, so he can't bring the Big Red Machine in. They have backed themselves into a corner where nobody can beat Brock legitimately. And because no one can beat Brock legitimately, there's nobody else. That means when somebody does beat him, it's going to look stupid if it's anybody else. It's going to look stupid. Unless Brock just forfeits the universal talent inside. You know what? I'm done carrying this around. At that point, that's what you're going to have to do. Just retire Brock as an undefeated universal champion and hold another tournament to crown a new one. And then you have a paper champion because Brock never lost. That is what they're backing themselves into. This is the mistake that WWE is making. And if you're not going to put the universal title on Roman Reigns, then why the fuck do you need to push him? That I'm not happy Roman Reigns won this match. Samoa Joe should have won. Why? Because he just came back from injury. He's on SmackDown Live. He needed this win to make himself dominant on SmackDown Live so that he can eventually chase the WWE Championship and become WWE Champion. Whether he beats AJ Styles for it or Nakamura, assuming Styles and Nakamura are going to wrestle again, which they probably will. But then Samoa Joe can be built up to be badass, can be built up to be a monster on SmackDown. And then Roman can go through his struggling of self-reflection. Maybe he starts to lose that confidence and then eventually finds a way to get it back. He plays the mental game and figuring out what he can do to beat Brock Lesnar. And here's what you do. He starts to lose that confidence. He starts to get down on himself. Kind of like when The Undertaker lost to Kane in 2010. When he was in that vegetative state and he went through that struggle. And then Paul Bearer came back and built his hopes up. Even though eventually they got taken away when Paul Bearer turned on him in Hell in a Cell. But that's not the point. Here's what you could have done. You could have had Seth Rollins show up. Dean Ambrose comes back from his injury. It looks like he's about to come back from injury. It looks like he's medically cleared. You bring him in and you have the shield back together. And then Rollins and Ambrose are going to say, don't worry, brother. We got your back against the beast. And then the beat, because the beast can't beat the hounds. So you unleash the hounds. And then they destroy Brock Lesnar. They triple shield powerbomb Brock Lesnar. Roman gets his one, two, three, and he holds up 
that universal championship and his brothers stand there with him and you got the shield that is how you could have that's how you have Brock Lesnar go for that because Roman could take the loss from Joe and then the shield gives him his confidence back he's got his brothers by his side and he knows he can do it and then you build them up a little bit more and then eventually when the time is right you have Dean Ambrose turn heel he turns on the shield brothers and he goes after either Seth's intercontinental title or Roman's universal title or whatever that is how you them up so no Roman Reigns didn't need to win this match now I'm not mad that he did but I'm still not happy about it but I'm not like angry or pissed off or losing sleep over it in fact Samoa Joe dominated half this match there was no offense from Roman Reigns until eventually he did fight back hit a couple Superman punches still couldn't hold him down Roman Reigns Samoa Joe locking in multiple Kokia clutches at the end when he choked out Roman I thought he should have choked out Roman right there put the big dog to sleep instead he fought out rolled over got the rope break Joe went for the muscle buster fought him off Joe misses a shot in the corner Reigns kind of jumps over does a little roll thing turns around hits the spear covers him one two three Roman Reigns wins the match I don't know what's going to happen next, though. What's the next step for Roman Reigns? How does this help Roman Reigns? Does he get one more match with Brock? Is he actually going to win that match with Brock? What else are we going to see out of Roman Reigns? Because right now, I can't take Roman Reigns seriously. And I know WWE royally fucked over with that cage match. That's literally the only thing that's saving Roman right now is that cage match. And the fact that they know what I know, what I was bitching, what I was going to bitch about before WWE agreed with me, which is that Roman Reigns' feet touched the fucking floor first. I'm just glad WWE actually agrees with me on something. But obviously, that's got to lead to unfinished business. That's got to lead to a third match. What's that match going to be? Hell in a Cell? That's the only way I can see those two going at it again. And it's going to be hard to take Samoa Joe seriously when he goes back to SmackDown Live unless he does some crazy shit on SmackDown to establish dominance because we're not going to see these two lock up ever again. Well, not ever again, but for a long time. The next time we see these two lock up, it might not be till Survivor Series when Raw goes up against SmackDown. So they got to forge their own path. Samoa Joe's got to figure out how do I recover from this loss? Roman... He needs to figure out if he's going to face Brock again or if he's moving on. There's a lot of unanswered questions. We'll probably get them on Raw tonight and SmackDown tomorrow night. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this match, as great as it was, it it didn't help anybody, really. There's a lot of unanswered questions that we need to figure out. Now, hopefully down the road, we'll find out if these matches on this card tonight were worth it. But we won't know because a lot of this is dumb. It really is. So that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude my recap of WWE Backlash 2018. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. And make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there. Or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash TheBoochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Be on the lookout for the upcoming episode of the male soap opera moment where the Wednesday and I will be giving our predictions for WWE Backlash 2023 taking place this Saturday. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitch. Go to 
twitch.tv slash theboochcast. This is where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and a special project in the works. Also, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold to the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. So to that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network, and unlike All Elite Wrestling, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.